0: Are you not entertained? Get busy living or get busy dying. All we have to decide is what to do with the
1: time that is given to us. Welcome to Taboo Talk with Jay Louder. This week's topic is something that I have found a lot of people struggle with. Our topic is... Do you feel like you're failing as a Christian? In my years of traveling, I don't know how many people I've met who have felt like they just didn't measure up. Maybe they felt like they weren't good enough. Maybe in some cases, they felt like they were trying to live up to an impossible standard. Or even in some cases, it was because they were brought up in a legalistic environment where everything is based on what you have done or what you haven't done. This week's guest is a friend of mine. She is a former staff member here at Harvest Ministries. She's a a mother of two boys. She also is a foster mom. She's in the process of adopting a child, and she's in the process of studying behavior analysis. She's a very gifted woman, somebody who I, I, I respect dearly. Erica, welcome to today's podcast. Hi, Jay. Yeah, I'm so excited that you, and, and so thankful that you volunteered to be a part of this podcast. Of course, I've known you for several years, and I know just in the conversations that we've had, oftentimes you have communicated some different things that indicated that you felt as if maybe you just weren't good enough, or, or maybe you weren't measuring up, or maybe you weren't living to the standard that you thought you should you should live to. So, Tell us, tell our listeners, Erica, a little bit about you and your background, your story. Maybe in some ways that may play into some of those feelings that you've had spiritually.
0: Definitely. So I was raised Catholic. Uh, I was not very involved in the church at all. Never really picked anything up from it. Um, You know, just kind of like those kids that are forced to to go to church. So um, I just, you know, didn't really have any interest for, you know, anything Related to Christianity growing up. Um, In my teens, we we quit going to church. So, you know, to me, that was a relief. Um, But I also became a teen parent. And, uh, you know, I I partied a lot. had a child young. Now, I was also really smart uh, school-wise. So I was able to graduate early, get a good job. I was a a bank manager before I was 21. So um, I, I was able to care for my child in the financial sense and, and things like that. But, you know, there, there was no, no spiritual stability in my life, anything like that. And so it was just a lot of partying, you know, chasing material things, money, things like that. Um, it wasn't until about my mid to late twenties where I actually, uh, was saved and gave my life to Christ. And so from my mid twenties on, it's been, you know, it's been a struggle, um, I, you know, when I first became a christian it you know i went I ran into it head first, and I just you know loved the feeling of fulfillment because all those years you know chasing material things uh i I never was fulfilled, and I always knew something was missing, so I ran into it head first so the first year or two you know everything was was great um but then after that, you know your past catches up with you, the enemy tells you you know you you, you know you did too much to go back and uh, as a single parent, you know, I, I, I do struggle with that. Um, and, you know, just the enemy, the, the way he gets a hold on your on your mental health and things like that. So that has been an, an, an ongoing issue with me throughout the years since being saved.
1: Well, let me ask you this, if we can kind of go backwards a little bit. You talked about you were raised in church, and, and I feel some similarity to that because I grew up in church, and even though I grew up in church, Like you, I didn't become a believer till later in life, even though I was there every Sunday. I actually went to a Baptist church as opposed to a Catholic, but it doesn't matter. The story's the same. Uh, I had a degree of being religious because I was surrounded by it, but my life had never been changed. So just backing up for our listeners, you said that, like me, you grew up in church, but you got saved later in life. How old did you say you were?
0: When I got saved, I would say about my mid-20s, probably around 25 or so.
1: And how did that happen? If you, I mean, what was the, coming from a Catholic background, I mean, how did you come, were you at a church camp or did you have a friend who shared the gospel or, or how did that unfold?
0: No, uh, you know, and growing up Catholic, you know, we had the, the traditions like, you know, baptism, confirmation, you know, which I had all of those. So I just, you know, to me, it was just something you did and then, you know, you got to have a party afterwards. So, um, it just never really meant anything to me, um, And so when I was about 25, you know, I had moved out to Colorado, uh, I was now a corporate banker. So, you know, I had the big house and the cars and it just felt like, you know, the more money I had, the more empty I felt. And there was just like this big, like black hole. And no matter how much more I tried to fill it with earthly possessions, it just got bigger and bigger. And I finally got to a point where I was just, you know, so unhappy and just looking for fulfillment and, um my son started going to a church with the neighbors. And so they invited us and, and I said, well, you know, I've only been to Catholic church, so I don't really know, you know, how to, how to go to any other church. And they said, well, this one's non-denomination. So it's, you know, it's, it's fine. It's not, you know, it's not going to make you, you know, be a member and do any things like that. So I said, okay, well, good. Then I'll go. Cause I'm not really into, you know, becoming a member at a church or anything. So at first I started going to this service, uh, you know, just out of being polite and my son liked going to the kids' camp, and so um, they just had a service there one day where they they did a calling, and I, you know, just felt just felt led to that calling. And when they did a come forward, I, I came forward. And at the time, I didn't really understand what that meant. I just know that at that time, when that call was made, that's all I wanted was the peace and everything that was offered with it. So I went, and my life didn't change immediately for the better it actually got worse so you know during that call you know they say lord take anything from me that's keeping me from you and keeping me from happiness so I said that without actually knowing what I was asking for so the unhealthy relationship I was in ended I lost my big corporate job I I ran out of uh, money because Colorado is an expensive place to live so I found myself back in my hometown back in my starter home um, kind of starting from scratch. Uh, and and so at the time I thought, oh, my God, this is horrible. You know, I lost everything. And it wasn't until years later where I realized that's what was clearing me to, to, live, to live this new life.
1: There, there's several things that you said that resonated. First of all, um, about you going to church and there was a call, an invitation, call it what you will, but people inviting you to come forward and give your life to Christ. Which is exactly what happened to me at twenty one, you know. I, I I kinda thought, Well, I guess I'm saved kinda like you, you know, I've been baptized, kinda gone through the motions, but just like you, you know, they gave the imitation and I'm just I felt the same way. It's like I don't really understand everything, but I know this. My life's messed up. I want Christ in my life, so whatever that means, I, I, I want that. And I, I love what you said about, you know, here you were successful, you were in the corporate world. In essence, You were climbing a ladder that was leaning against the wrong wall. And something else that you said that I think is important, I know some people that listen to this podcast are non-believers, and we're glad that you listen, but don't be under the illusion if you're not a believer or even if you recently became a believer, Uh, because my story is just like Erica's. Uh, When I got saved, my life didn't just become perfect overnight. Matter of fact, it, it became more difficult because God started taking things out of my life some of the friendships that I had, God took. The girl that I was dating that uh, I had planned on marrying, God took. Now, I want to clarify that God never took anything that he didn't replace with something better. But Erica, I just love the fact that you're honest and transparent that even when you gave your life to Christ that day, when you came forward. And, and of course, when we say gave your life to Christ, that means I assume for you, Erica, as it did for me, that meant you came forward and you prayed and said, Lord, I, I believe in Jesus. I believe you died on the cross and I, I, I surrender my life and want you to be my Lord and Savior. I, I'm, I presume that's what you mean by that.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what it was.
1: Yeah, and so, you know, life got, life got difficult. And Erica, I think about when you first even came to work here at Harvest Ministries. I remember you telling me that, there were people who were shocked that you were working at a ministry. And so people kind of even gave you a hard time about it. Isn't isn't that correct?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, um, you go from, you know, being a corporate banker and driving, you know, new cars and having a big house, and you run into people who you haven't seen in years, and they're like, what are you doing now? Oh, I'm, you know, working in ministry. And, you know, they're kind of like, oh, you know, kind of give you like that. Oh, guess life got hard on you. Like they, they, they don't see it as a success. They see it as a as a downgrade. <laughs> and then also like, who the heck are you to be working in ministry? You know, I know you. <laughs> so right, so yeah, they're judging you on your past. Definitely. And I want to
1: say this about Erica, and and I hope our listeners know that. Some of the people that we have on the podcast, um, I know extremely well. Some of them not near as well. Some of them are in my inner circle, and some of them are in my outer circle. But, Erica, what you were with Harvest, what, about three years? Is that right? Yes. Yeah, yeah right. and so, obviously, Erica and I have spent a lot of time together. And I can honestly say, and, and, and when I say these things, I, I truly mean them. From the time that Erica came to work at Harvest Ministries to the place that she was when she really left to follow her true calling – I don't know that I've ever seen anybody a part of this ministry that grew spiritually more than Erica did. And oftentimes it seemed as though, and that's really kind of taken us back. It seems off topic, but it's really not. Because I think it's taken us back where we started about people failing as a Christian. Erica didn't oftentimes see the growth in her life. And matter of fact, here we do a weekly Bible study every Thursday. And, and, I would probably know more about the Bible than Erica because I've known Christ longer and I'm in full-time ministry and I probably had an opportunity to study the Bible more. But I can honestly say that at our weekly Bible studies, I gained more insight from some of the insight that Erica shared as a person who was a relatively new believer than I've ever gotten from anybody. And so I've always said that I'm so proud that Erica was a part of our organization, uh, that, that and to see the spiritual growth in her life. Now Erica going back to your story is and here today obviously we're talking about people who f- feel like they're failing as a Christian. Do you feel like that part of the reason that that's been an ongoing struggle in your life is as you would say because of your past, you know, you mentioned that you got pregnant as a teenager I believe and and maybe there was some guilt that came along with that. Do you feel like that that's played a role? and you feeling like that you're failing or not measuring up?
0: Definitely. I think, um, you know, when you're first saved, you're, you're kind of blinded by the light, you know, because you're just so happy and everything's great. And then it's really just a bunch of small things that you kind of start noticing. Um, you know, most of the people, when I started going to new churches, most of the people were married. There wasn't a lot of single parents, and so being a single parent was, was one for me. Uh, and then also being a teen parent, you know, people obviously uh, see your your child that's way bigger than you and, and they're like, oh, how old is your kid? And when you tell them, you know, it doesn't take a lot of math to realize that you had them really young in life. And so I, I think most of it, I don't even think it was really people doing anything or saying anything. I think it was just my own guilt where I'm like, oh, I can only imagine what they're thinking, you know, or things like that. But But yeah, you know, I'm not a traditional... Parent, you know, I don't have a traditional home. I have, um, you know, I have a teenager. I have a six-year-old. I have uh, uh, foster kids. I'm single, so you know, there's just a lot to my to my life that's not traditional. Whereas when you go to church and you see a family, you think of a mom, dad, and their two kids that are the same age. So just having everything all over the board, I mean, it's it, it it's just not traditional. Uh, and so I think a lot of that, you know, kind of makes me feel like i'm different and then different automatically results to you know failure or you know you take anything different as a failure and then anytime you think of anything in your past you know or, or, or when you're in ministry and, and you hear of people sinning and you think oh you know that's nothing compared to what i used to do and then you think oh man maybe i'm worse than, than these people but um You know, there is a lot of uh, I have to remind myself, you know, I I made these decisions before I gave my life to Christ, you know, and even if I made a bad decision now, because I think that that's another thing that that leads us to feel that way. But, you know, you have to you have to realize where you were at spiritually and where you're at spiritually now, because, yeah, I might have done a lot worse than what a lot of people, you know, do now. But at the same time, I wouldn't do any of that now. So it's it's yeah, it has a lot to do with that, I would say.
1: Well, it's amazing to me that in spite of all that, when you were at, when you were a staff member here at Harvest, not only were you a staff member, you were running your own business. Here you have uh, two kids. You have one son uh, who has autism. On top of that, you were a foster mother, and even now you're in the process of adopting your own kid. And so, as an outsider looking at your life, looking at the spiritual growth, looking at a woman who has been involved in ministry, owned her own business, climbed the corporate ladder, been a foster mom, adopting another child as a single mom, you know, as an outsider, I mean, I'm like, man, this is a person who is very successful, not just in life. But as a person who knows you and who did Bible study with you every Thursday for three years, I look at you and I see a woman who's very accomplished, a woman who's very successful, a woman who, in spite of some of the struggles and, as you say, mistakes that you made, and no doubt there's been consequences. We've talked about this, and, and you've told me about some of those consequences and struggles. And... um I can't imagine how difficult it is being a single mom. But yet in spite of that, here I, I look at you as someone who's very accomplished. So I want to ask you a question, and it seems honestly rather remedial. But I would be curious, what do you define as a failure spiritually? Because as you say, this has kind of been a struggle in your life. So when you say that, not only for me but for our listeners, what do you actually mean by that?
0: Well, you know, one um saying that i relate to a lot is like the what would jesus do because growing up you know you would see the bracelets and i always assumed they meant like what would jesus do if he was watching you well now as a believer i take it more like what would jesus do if he was in that situation and i guess both ways you know can be interpreted depends on you know who how you're reading it but i would see it as like when you do something that's not christ-like um you know, we 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 fall back into sin. You know, things like that. And while there's big sin that I don't have issues with, you know, since being saved, um, drinking, you know, drug use, anything like that, it's not really an issue for me to 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 give that up. You know, especially drinking because you know, looking back, nothing good ever came out of it, um, and the situations that I that I placed myself in, you know, nothing ever nothing good ever came from it. So that wasn't easy to give up. But one of the uh, issues that I struggle with a lot is is anger and, you know, anxiety and things like that, living in a spirit of fear. And so it, it's kind of like a cycle, you know, you, you you get into this thing, into this um, predicament and you're like, oh, um, you know, something happens and you, you lose your mind, you know, you... You're over here flipping tables and yelling, and then afterwards you're like, you know, Jesus wouldn't do that, um, although he did. He did flip the tables at the church, but I'm sure he didn't do that every day. So um, I guess my definition of failure is really just like letting letting God down, you know, doing something that's not Christ-like. And um, I, I've really learned to to be aware that, we're not Christ, you know, being Christ-like is the goal, but we're human and we are going to get mad. We are going to lose our cool because, you know, we're, we're human and nobody's perfect, but there are times where, you know, I catch myself and I said, you know, I, I didn't have to do all that or, or, you know, I didn't have to, you know, I could have stopped uh, a long time ago. I didn't have to go to a hundred. And so to me that that's what I count as, as a failure, as, as hurting others, letting others down, showing an unchristlike example because I feel like if you weren't raised in the church and and or you know raised in the church but if you didn't grow up being a Christian example and you became one later in life, I feel like you're already watched and judged more than others because people probably think uh, oh it's just a phase it's just a matter of time. So I feel like you're being watched more and when you do something that's just totally unchristlike I feel like that's when people say, yep, that's it. You know, I knew it was just a matter of time. And so that's that's how I define failing as a Christian.
1: Erica, would you say, because it seems so many people, and I don't know if you feel this way, but I think a lot of people who are believers feel like God loves them or approves of them based on their performance. Would you say that that's true in your life, that in some way you feel like, god's favor on your life or how much god loves you or how much he approves of you is based on how well you're living your life
0: oh definitely you know i mean we read the verses where it says god's love is unconditional but because we're not unconditional it's hard to believe that anybody could love you unconditional you know we say that we love people unconditional but really we don't you know we all have our limits with people and and you know, it's just like expecting something from someone that you wouldn't do. So I think it's hard for anyone to believe that, you know, God loves them unconditionally in certain times. And that that's definitely the case for me.
1: But yet at the same time, and you're a great mother, I know this for a fact, but if I turn that around for you as a mother, and obviously you as a mother or me as a father cannot compare with how great of a parent God is to us. But do you love your kids less? Now, I'm not saying, obviously, you get frustrated with them. You get aggravated at them. There are times there are consequences. There's discipline, just like God divvies discipline to us. I'm sure there's times of frustration that God has towards us. But, but let me ask you this. When your kids don't perform right, does it change your love for your kids?
0: <laughs> Absolutely not.
1: <laughs> and so I guess my question to you is, knowing that God is a much better father than you could ever be mother or me a father, if you couldn't love your kids less, regardless of what they do, why would you think that God would love you less?
0: That's true. And and I think once you really sit down and think about it, you know, you don't, you, you probably have a better understanding, but I, I think automatically I'm harder on myself than, you know, I'm hard on my kids. And so I'm also hard on myself. And so I think that's why, um, that's why I feel that way. You know, this, um, speaking about this, it, it kind of brings up a conversation me and you had a while back where, um, God had put fostering, uh, in my heart, you know, so I, I didn't initially make the decision to just foster children. It was, it was placed on me and I fought it. Oh, I fought it, you know, oh, I don't have enough room. I don't make enough money. I'm not married. Uh, when I was going through the process, anything that came up, especially stuff from my hit, from my past, you know, you got to so you got to get all these letters and you know, mind you, that happened, you know, when in my teens, uh, but you had to go get all these letters of approval and it was just more work than what I wanted to do. So I would say, Oh, well, you know, can't do that. And so uh, it, God kept pushing. And so I, I did it. And so when I started fostering, uh, you know, it, it was it was an experience, but I remember there was there was a child that uh, I I loved deeply. And, um, you know, a few issues came up and, and shoot, uh, the child wasn't able to, to stay in my home. And I felt like the biggest failure. I said, you know, God put this mission on my life, and I failed. And, and it just, you know, I've, I've, I've just completely failed. I failed this child. I failed God. I failed the foster community. I failed everyone, and um, everybody that I spoke to just, you know, kind of was was trying to cheer me up about it. And it wasn't until a conversation I had with you where you said how, you know, you gave this child a safe home and you did everything in your power and you showed you introduced them to God. You showed them uh, what a safe and supportive home was supposed to be like because they had never known that before. And, yeah, whether they, you know, didn't feel like they deserved it. So, you know, they sub- sabotaged, you know, the opportunity or, or whatever happened. Um, I wouldn't consider a child being in a safe home and learning about God to be a failure. And it wasn't until you worded it like that that I was like, okay. Like, I I never thought of it that way because I, I saw it as like this was my, you know, this was supposed to be a lifelong mission. And it wasn't. And so I think a lot of our failures are... Oh, because of our standards and not understanding that missions or, you know, assignments from God aren't necessarily uh, on our timing, but they're on His. Maybe that was my job, was just to take in that child for that time being and introduce them to the gospel. But because of what my standards, what my outlook on the the assignment was, I felt like a failure.
1: Well, first of all, that's encouraging for me to hear. I, I remember that discussion. I did not know my words had that impact on you. So, Man, that's encouraging to me, but I think for our listeners, even sitting here across the desk talking to Erica and just talking about, you know, hey, I've never thought of it that way. Yeah, I love my kids unequivocally, undeniably. Nothing will change that. And I mean, hey, I, I, I think, Erica, maybe even for you, that's a revelation that since you couldn't love your kids any less, certainly God couldn't love you any less. Now, that doesn't change the fact, I mean, we've had many conversations. There's times we want to kill our kids, no doubt about it, but the love is unchanging. And 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 some of the things that I love that really back that up. I look at the Old Testament. Look at a guy like David. I mean, here's a guy that committed murder. He committed adultery. This guy was an egomaniac. Matter of fact, thousands of his his own people were killed because of a census, because of his pride. I don't I don't know how you can do a whole lot worse than than committing murder and adultery within a span of time. But yet the Bible says about him The only person the Bible says about him uh, about is he was a man after God's own heart. Now, if, if you didn't know that or if you were guessing who God would have said that about, you probably wouldn't have guessed that he would have said it about somebody who committed murder and adultery. But yet God did say that. Matter of fact, other than Jesus, more is written about David than any other character in the 66 books of the Bible. And so it gives me hope to think, here's the guy that dropped the ball in a major way. And God knows I've dropped the ball in countless ways. And I also have carried some of that guilt, that condemnation. Of course, condemnation, God brings conviction, but he doesn't bring condemnation. Condemnation comes from the enemy. But it's always been encouraging to me to look and say, and here's a guy that made some major mistakes. And yet the Bible brags about him as a man after God's own heart. Some of our listeners may say, well, Jay, that, that's the Old Testament. I mean, you're, you're taken before the time of Christ. But let's look at Paul. Arguably, I think without doubt, he's the greatest Christian that ever lived. And what did Paul say? I memorized this verse years ago because I needed to. Romans 7, 18. He said, I know in me dwells no good thing. And he goes on to say, the things that I wished I did, I don't do. And the things that I wished I didn't do, I do. So it's not just the Old Testament, but the New. And you've got the greatest Christian that ever lived, wrote these phenomenal books in the New Testament saying, there's nothing good in me, that there's this constant war between my spirit and my flesh. And the very things that I wish I didn't take part in, I do. So that's one of the things, that, quite frankly, I love about the Bible, Erica, is that if everybody in there was perfect, if everybody who's in there was like a Daniel, I mean, who would we have to relate to? But basically, you look at any mainline character in Scripture, and their life is filled with huge mistakes. So it really gives me hope. And I think it's important for all of us to remember God does not love you based on your performance. Of course, when we don't obey God, when we get out from underneath His covering, when we rebel against Him, just like, Erica, you would do as a parent and I would do as a father, we discipline our kids. We don't discipline our kids because we love to do it. Discipline, technically, in its original language and in Scripture, means to train. And so we're not doing it out of vengeance or anger. We're trying to train them. And so I think I think it's important for us to quit looking at our performance from a standpoint of how much God accepts us or, or loves us. No, God doesn't accept all of our behaviors, but He unequivocally Unequivocally accepts us. Erica, do you think part of also, because every one of us has a struggle. You have a struggle. I have a struggle. And I don't care who, who's listening to the podcast. Every one of us has a struggle. Now, yours may not be the same as mine. And you probably already know what that struggle is. It's something that has been an ongoing issue. It's probably something that you've had seasons of success over, and maybe you've fallen back into it. Maybe it's that thing where you've asked God to forgive you of it over and over and over, and just about the time it seems you're getting some traction, you lose ground, and here you are back at the feet of God saying, I've dropped the ball again. I just wonder, Erica, if part of maybe your feelings of, I'm a failure as a Christian, God's not happy with me, does some of that stem from maybe some of the feelings I've had from the specific areas of struggle that I've fallen back into them.
0: Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I mentioned earlier that, that, you know, drinking alcohol, things like that, uh, you know, clubbing, things like that were not really a, a big deal to give up just because they, they were never fulfilling. But, uh, one thing that I've, that I've never had good control over is, is anger. Um, you know, you hear about Paul or uh Peter in the Bible and I mean, just how much of a hothead he was cutting off the, the soldier's ear and I mean like that that's that's me to a T. You know, I I always act first and then think later and think, wow, you know, I really wasn't that serious. I didn't have to react that, that bad and um, you know, it it really guilts me afterwards because I think, wow, you know, what if somebody uh I, I have had, you know, loved ones uh tell me that, you know, they that they look up to, um, that they look up to me uh, for for certain things, and so I'm always like, you know, oh wow, what if somebody that that looks up to me uh, saw that or heard about that? You know, they would think, oh, you know, she's not a real Christian. And I know that you know the Bible tells us over and over that we need to focus on God, not people, because people will always let us down, but. You know, it's it's easy to say that about other people, but when you're you're the example, especially when you're the head of household, and you know your kids are watching you, um, it it is hard, and it does make me feel like a failure every time you know something like that happens, and I I feel like you know I failed in the way I behaved. Well, and again,
1: I said earlier that everybody has everybody has some struggle, and typically you're thinking, oh well, no, I don't have that. Maybe you're listening and think, well, that's not me. Because sometimes we try to, we put that in a category of, well, sexual sin or addiction. Well, I don't have any addictions, and I'm not in sex before marriage or outside of marriage or committing adultery. But repetitive sin is not just these what we would consider the big sins. Of course, all sin is sin. But it could be pride. It could be greed. It could be gossip. It could be lust. And this goes back to that condemnation thing where, the enemy is always seeking to place blame. I think about some of the areas that I struggle in and it's ironic to me how the enemy comes and tempts me. And then when I give into the temptation, the very thing that he was trying to coerce me to do, once I've done it, he starts throwing accusations at me. Well, what kind of Christian are you? What kind of father are you? What kind of husband are you? What kind of preacher are you? So it's ironic how the very one, matter of fact, his name in scripture is the tempter. The very one who tempting me is now accusing me. And and that's just not the way God works. God is not the one who places blame and guilt on us. Again, it's conviction. It's where his spirit moves in and, and shows us that something is wrong and leads us to a place of repentance, which is not just saying I'm sorry, but saying God I'm sorry, I recognize what I did was wrong, and by your power and your strength, I'm going to turn away from it. So I think a lot of people, Erica, would resonate with this feeling of, especially in regards to whatever area of struggle that they have, that they're having difficulty getting victory over it.
0: Definitely. And another one is uh, past sin, you know, you, you mentioned earlier that everything has consequences. And I think it's it's very discouraging when something you no longer do uh, or haven't done in a long time comes back to, to kind of bite you in the butt, as they say. Uh, you know, one thing for me was, you know, I was a teen parent, so obviously, you know, premarital sex, things like that. And even though, you know, I'm, I'm not doing any of that sin anymore, I had a child because of it. And it it's sad whenever, you know, your your son's a teenager and he has certain things that, you know, his uh, father's not involved uh, in his life. And so then, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, it's because he doesn't have a dad. And so then that, you know, makes me feel bad because even though they're blaming the father, I'm blaming myself because I made that choice. And so now this innocent child doesn't have a father, you know, and I had a father growing up. So I think, wow, you know, I I didn't, you know... I didn't necessarily deserve or two two parent household, and that's something that nobody decides when they're born. That's just what they got. They either got one parent, they got two parents, they got good parents, they got bad parents, and so be, because of that, you know, that's something that he struggles with, um, wh- whether he admits it or not. You know, that's got to be an area of you know why why aren't you involved? You know, things like that, and those are feelings that I could have saved him from had I not been committing sin. But when you're young and and you're not thinking about it, you know, you're, you're like, whatever. And then even when you're saved, you're like, well, I'm not doing it anymore. But then you see issues come up because of your sin. And then it makes you feel like a failure. And you kind of, you know, and it's exactly what the enemy's doing. He's saying, you know, you failed your son. You, you committed sin. You might not be doing it anymore, but you did enough to ruin his life. And so then you just go back into this. Uh, feelings of oh yep I'm a failure I failed him and no matter how good I am now uh, he's always gonna always gonna have that so it's it's definitely in, uh, the enemy you know getting in your head and and that is one thing that I, I hear a lot of people you know especially those who recovered from uh, drug addiction or or things like that you know you're you're doing good now but your sin has lifelong consequences and that's just something that you're always gonna have to uh, to to battle and that's. You know, that's unfortunate.
1: Yeah, well, God, the enemy, is always throwing one of two things. One is a spear to either pierce you or it's a boomerang to remind you of the past. But that's not the way God works. God, God's always throwing love at us. And the enemy has an uncanny ability to always bring up things that we've done that we regret doing and that maybe even still have consequence. And I, I just... And and Let me back up and say this. I'm I'm not saying that because we have struggles that we can never have victory over them. I do believe that we can. But I also recognize as somebody who's known Christ for years and who is trying to live for Christ even though I fail often that it's not uncommon for the enemy to, 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 to get a crack in the door and to get us, bring us back to a place of bondage. And... You know, God doesn't bring up the past. If we truly ask God to forgive us of something and we've repented of it, the enemy will bring up the past, but but God never does. I love the story about the woman who was caught in adultery. And we all heard it. She was actually caught literally in the sexual, the physical act of adultery. And we could get off tangent here and ask where the man was. We won't do that. But here this woman is brought, probably half-clothed, and there's people gathered around her ready to stone her. Makes me think of just exactly what Satan would do. Look at what you've done. Look at who you are. Look at your mistakes. Look at your sin, which is exactly what the enemy does, throwing this boomerang, throwing this spear. And, you know, we know the story. Jesus kneels on the ground and he writes something on the ground and he tells the crowd, whoever among you is without sin, go ahead and throw a stone. Of course, the Bible says that Beginning with the oldest, eventually uh, to the youngest, the crowd disappears. And Jesus makes this statement that I think is so apropos for this situation and for people who feel like they're a failure, who feel like it's all about, about how I behave. It's all about my performance. Jesus said to her, where are your accusers? The reason he asked that is because they were gone. And then Jesus makes this final statement that I believe he would say to every single person listening to this podcast. And you may be struggling. Matter of fact, you may have fallen back into the quicksand of your sin. You may be there right now. And the enemy may be throwing every boomerang, every spear at you, telling you what a worthless person that you are. If you truly are trying to follow Christ and you're seeking to turn away from it, I believe that Jesus would say to you, exactly what he said to the woman that was caught in adultery. And this is what he said. After saying, where are your accusers? Where are those that condemn you? He said this, neither do I. Jesus said to a woman that's half closed, that was literally in the process of having intercourse with a man who was not her husband, he said, neither do I accuse you. And I think that's important for us to remember, all of us, because, Eric, I don't think you're by yourself. I think a lot of people have this feeling of fail, that I'm, I'm a failure. And again, it, it's not the voice of God telling them that. It's certainly the voice of an enemy. I, I remember, I got to tell an abbreviated part of this story. Uh, this happened several years ago. Uh, I'd gotten in from the road from preaching. It was a Saturday morning. I got up, um, oftentimes, do my, cl- my quiet time in my closet, and I was in my closet, and um I was probably in there 30, 40 minutes, just reading my Bible and praying. Well, I got out of my closet, and I don't remember what stoked the fire. I don't remember what poked the bear, so to speak. But anyway, I lost my temper, and uh, I just got real hateful to the family. I got frustrated about something, and I said to my wife, how in the world? I just got out of the closet. I was there literally several hours trying to follow God, trying to get to know God, praying, reading the Bible. And how in the world could I spend that time with God? And it was so real that time. It was like I felt like he was in the closet with me. And how can I get out of that closet? And a short time later, I blow my stack and lose my temper. And my wife, Missy, said something to me that I've never forgotten. She said, Jay, I wouldn't beat myself up. And you ought to just be thankful that you were in the closet just imagine what it would have been like had you not have been in there and it was just a total paradigm shift a total different perspective of realizing even though i was in literally i felt like i was in the presence of god and still got in my flesh and 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 got blew my stack that even though i was wrong there's no excuse for it that my seeking god and spending time with god probably prevented it from being a lot worse than what it really what it really was. Erica, what would you say? You know, today we've kind of talked about a few things that I think are important to implement. Recognizing that God's love is not based on performance is one of the things we talked about. Of recognizing that God never brings up our past. That that's what the enemy does. Of recognizing that God doesn't throw boomerangs to remind us of shortcomings and failures. We've talked about even the heroes of the Bible where we see in scripture that even the greatest believers, the greatest Christians of all time have also felt those feelings of failure. What might you say, Erica, to some of our listeners who have some of those same struggles, some of the ways that you're learning how to deal with some of these accusations, these condemnation that you seem to get.
0: I would definitely say to, you know, cut yourself some slack. I think that's, um, that's been a big one for me, you know, being really hard on myself, and and when I do think about it, you know, and you and you actually think of uh, when you think of your past, don't think of it as uh, as you know what you've done. Think of it as how far you've come. Uh, obviously, we're going to fail. we will probably fail every day. I mean, that's just it's human nature. We're we're doomed to fail. But um, you know, definitely repenting, moving forward, seeing how far you've come. Uh, if you do far yourself backpedaling back into sin. I mean, don't have the mindset of, well, I'm already here. Have the mindset of, nope, this is enough. You know, go back to moving forward. And uh, yeah, that that's that's really all I have as far as what I would say to anyone, you know, questioning, you know, if they're a successful Christian or not. Um, you know, your standards are not God's standards. Your plans are not God's plans. So your definition of failure is, is not His. Um, also, to anyone who's not a believer and is living in sin, I would say, you know, that your, your sin does have consequence, and, and it's something that, you know, it, it's it's going gonna, it's gonna to come back later. So, you know, while God does make a way to move past it, and he does make a way for healing, um, the, the sooner you put it behind you and move forward, the better.
1: Well, you know, today we've talked about some things that people who struggle with this, can implement. You know, we we've kind of went through a, a list of several things that we need to remember, uh, that we need to recognize, and and, and I want to I want to add two things to this as we kind of bring this thing to a close. One is to to just really encourage people to not only just understand it intellectually, but ask God to give you an understanding in, in the depths of your heart of how unconditional His love is. And Erica, you said it earlier, You know, we have limitations. And some of us didn't grow up with a great father or a great mother. Or maybe our husband walked out on us or our best friend or our boyfriend, somebody that we thought unconditionally loved us. And so maybe some of our listeners don't have a template of somebody in their life like that. But that's who God is. And it's important that we constantly... Remember that and and encourage ourselves in the depth of his love. The Bible says that it's deeper than the ocean, that it's wider than the planet, that it's it's never ending, that it never fails. And even Scripture tells us in Romans that nothing, not height nor depth, nothing can separate us from God's love. And then one other thing I think is really important for people who feel like are, are constantly being barraged with this, these feelings of inadequacy, these feelings of a failure, is asking God to use your pain as a platform. Some of the most effective people are those, again, look at the scripture. One of the reasons that they're so effective and we want to read about them and learn from them is because they have made mistakes. Eric, I'm not a single mom. I never have been. I've never been a single parent. And so I lack the ability to relate to someone in a way that you could. And that's a great thing about God. He has an uncanny ability to take our mistakes and use those mistakes to help other people avoid them, to help other people get out of them. And so it's our biggest platform is, is our mistakes. It's oftentimes our scars. It's our pain. And I believe, Erico, that one of the reasons that you're pursuing your ability to counsel, and of course you're wanting to help um, other kids that have behavioral, behavioral issues, again, goes back to a struggle that you've had with a son who, who has autism. And so while the enemy wants to condemn us, God wants to use that to build his kingdom. And then the last thing I would say is this. We've got to go back 2,000 years ago. When Jesus died on the cross and when he was literally slaughtered on a hill, he took all of our condemnation. He took all of our guilt. He took all of our shame. Not part of it, not some of it, but he took every bit of it. And according to the Bible, it says that his blood washes every bit of that away. Erica, that day when you walked the aisle and you came forward and you said, I want to invite Jesus Christ into my life. When I did the same thing at 21 years of age, and God Almighty adopted us into his family, just like you're about to do with this child, we became one of his. And he says, your sins are as far as the east is from the west. He said in Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so whether whether it's for Erica, whether it's for me, or those of you that are listening, ask God, God, use my mistakes, use my pain, use my scars as a tool to build your kingdom. That's what he wants to do. Erica, thank you so much for being a guest on Taboo Talk with Jay Latter. So much respect for you, respect for what you're doing with your life, respect for you as a mother. And just so appreciate you being authentic and transparent today on Taboo Talk we'll talk we'll see you next week on taboo talk with jay louder